Welcome to another episode of Makers Weekly. My name is Dan Parsons, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk with Justin Mitchell, founder of Yak. Justin was actually one of our very first episodes. He's now back to talk about how Yak's become one of the hottest startups powering remote work. So without further ado, let's welcome Justin back to the show. Justin, thanks so much for coming back on the show. I'm uh, really excited to hear about all the progress that Yak's made um, you know, over the, the past year. Uh, for our new listeners, do you mind giving us just a quick overview kind of on yourself and then you know, on, what, on what Yak is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Justin. I, you know, I did an episode earlier uh, on the Makers Weekly that actually has been one of our biggest marketing channels. Oddly enough, like tons of people have listened to this episode, and that's how they found out about our product. But I'm a serial entrepreneur. Been working uh, in startups for many, many years. You know, got hired out of high school, so it's it's really all I know. And uh, you know, kind of got fortunate to be tossed into the startup world and learn right on the on the job. So no formal training and in any of this stuff, just kind of uh, been bootstrapping it for many years, had a couple startup successes early on. And uh, we actually built Yak out of our design agency, So Friendly. So, you know, this first episode that we, that we did, um, we actually weren't even a, a company yet, I don't think at the time. I think we were still kind of like spinning it out of So Friendly and it was part of our design agency and wasn't its own startup yet. We've since raised two rounds of VC funding. So there's like all kinds of cool stuff to talk about um, in, in that regard. That was my first go at doing my own fundraising as a CEO. Uh, prior to that, I've always kind of been the, you know, I was a founder, but I was a grunt guy on the team. And so there's there's lots of great knowledge that's been gained uh, since then. But yeah, Yak is a, an asynchronous voice messaging tool for your team. Uh, at its core, it's kind of like WhatsApp voice messaging. And now we've got screen sharing and group messaging and all kinds of cool new features coming out. But um, you know, at its core, it's always started out of, you know, what can we do to take that experience of you know, WhatsApp or iMessage voice messaging and bring it to kind of a B2B market? Nice. And the point is that if I want to talk with a colleague of mine, I don't have to try and find a mutual time that works for both of us or pull them out of their state of flow to jump on a call. But I can you know, still capture the essence of a voice conversation and the dynamics of being able to talk about something and send it to them. And then it gets queued up for them to listen to asynchronously at some point. Or what is the, the typical use case that you guys see for Yak? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at its core, we've always known that voice is just this high resolution, high bandwidth way to communicate. But if you look at today's tools, they're all centered around kind of time monopolization. The way that you communicate with your voice today is a phone call or a Zoom meeting or a Google Hangout or a Skype call like we're doing right now. Um, and, you know, we found that voice was obviously this very important way to communicate, but it was super interruptive and super distracting and typically very one-sided. One person needs that meeting and the other person's probably quite busy and doesn't have time to do that meeting, but they do it anyway because they were requested to do it. And so we wanted to find this way for you to still be able to utilize that high bandwidth communication method of voice, but without all the downsides of a traditional meeting. So, you know, Yak is this asynchronous meeting tool. And the way that we pull that off is essentially voice messaging. But at the end of the day, it is basically having full on meetings asynchronously instead of real time sync meetings. And it's amazing how much time you save, but how much you can actually get out in like a 30 second voice message that is higher bandwidth than a Slack message, but less disruption than a full on meeting. Do you see yaks ever 
turning into then synchronous conversations? Like, are you ever like, do you ever yak, you know, to one of your colleagues and then, uh, you get a yak back and then it ends up driving a full conversation? Question a lot. Um, very early on, I was demoing the product with Matt Harmon over at uh, Betaworks. And Matt and I were going back and forth, back and forth. And in one of his messages, he was like, I don't get this. And you're like, why can't we just go real time? Like, this is so unbelievably fast. Like, we're going back and forth so quickly. It might as well just be a sync phone call. And then I had to go to the bathroom and I stepped away and like, you know, five, 10 minutes later, I came back to this message and I went because of that right there, man, like I needed to step away from my desk and I had the freedom to do so. And a sync call doesn't allow for that. You're not actually gaining anything by being in real time because you're right. We were communicating nearly in real time because of how fast Yak is as a, you know, as a UX, but also just in terms of like, you know, we're uploading like a couple kilobyte audio files. It's really quick. You're not waiting for these things to upload and send and store. It can be very rapid. And, uh, you know, the power in that is not the technology. The power is the freedom, the ability for me to step away for a second, go to the bathroom, come back, answer his message. And it all comes back to kind of an it can wait mentality. It's more of a mentality than it is a technical achievement. Uh, you kind of get into this asynchronous workflow of understanding I don't need an answer literally right now. Uh, that person may be doing something else. They may be in their focus state. They might be, you know, in flow, developing something, designing something, and they don't want to be distracted. And I, as a team lead, as a, as a leader, as an owner of the company, like I need to understand that and I need to respect that time. And as soon as you kind of like break down that micromanagey, I need to know what you're doing at all times type of mentality and you move into this kind of goal of communication being the actual goal and it being maybe one way where I need to get you information or I need to ask information of you. And when you respond is not you know, paramount to the actual information being communicated, it totally changes the way that you think about communication. Um, I've gotten into so many little Twitter spats around this. And, uh, you know, the one question I always ask is, you know, what is real time solving for you? What is that sync call doing that async could not provide? And no one's ever really been able to give me, you know, a good answer. I talked to the guys at Miro who do the uh, online whiteboarding tool, and they've been talking to us about a Yak integration. And one of the things that they said was, you know, we've built this whole thing to be this like collaborative, real-time workspace where everybody can be whiteboarding at the same time. And then we found that most of the time, what happens is somebody gets in there, they add some stuff to the board, they log off for a little bit, somebody else goes in, they add some stuff to the board. Like it's actually very rare that everybody is all doing it at the same time. And I think Google Docs is another great example of this as well. You know, people aren't all editing a Word doc or a Google Slides all at the same time. I typically add a couple slides, you log in, you edit my slides, or you add a couple slides, I go in and do the same thing later. It's this back and forth, and that's the way that we use most of the tools today. But for some reason, meeting culture and this desire to be real-time all the time, I think just became normal, and no one questioned it. And so, yeah, we're kind of pushing back and saying, uh, it doesn't have to be real-time. You can get the same effect and actually respect other people's time management. Yeah, and what I find too to build on that with asynchronous conversation is a lot of times I can provide better communications. Um, I'm able to like really take my time and kind of suss out 
a precise message. I'm able to try a few different, like if it's product work, you know, you're able to try a few different things before you, you feel the pressure that you have to get a response back. Yep. Um, so I've actually been challenging myself to try and not like jump right back into the Slack bubbles when you get them and like, you know, consciously complete the, the, it, the workflow that I'm in and then and then come back to those those Slack messages at a later point in time. Um, so it's definitely a, a mindset shift, but I do think ultimately it, it yields you know better results from a, a the quality of communication. Yeah, you know, to, to riff on that really quickly, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things that happen when you allow for async. Um, one of those is the ability to hear yourself out loud for the first time and just to actually kind of. Uh, hear the problem externally and be able to think about it. Um, the other thing is that the voice voices that maybe weren't heard previously can mm. now be heard. So in a meeting context, you typically have one person that just kind of dominates the conversation. Um, and you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's personalities. You have people that are more introverted than others. You have people that are just more dominating than others. But in a meeting, in a real-time situation, it's very hard to control that. Um, but when you shift to an asynchronous workflow, all of a sudden those people have more of an opportunity to chime in. They feel less pressured to perform on the spot. They can take their time and articulate an answer. Now all of a sudden that group think is so much stronger. So many more people are involved now. Everybody had equal opportunity to formulate an answer and get feedback. So it, it's a lot more than just your own ability to you know take some time. It actually affects the company at large as well. Yeah, I think... Uh... I also think there's probably something nice about having the communications cued and you can go back and reference them. So it's almost like notes are happening in the conversation just in nature that, you know, the conversations are being done in this like recorded fashion. Um, I imagine there are a bunch of interesting use cases on how people, you know, then use that artifact of that voicemail or that voice recording, uh, you know, to, to capture like that point of feedback. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked to so many remote teams at the beginning of this and historical context was by far one of the most important things that they talked about. Being able to come into a conversation after the fact, search it, tag it, save it, store it, all of those things are so important. There's a lot of tools that try to do this with real-time meetings today, but it's very hairy, right? You're looking at like an hour-long conversation that you're trying to pull out some specific insight from. Whereas with you know a Yak message, it's 30 seconds, it's two minutes of audio. It's very easy to figure out what's important and what's not important in that conversation. And we transcribe all these messages as well. So now it's searchable, it's tagged. Uh, we have a new feature coming out called Insights that will actually pull out action items for you and say, hey, it looks like you assigned a task to Hunter. Do you want to go ahead and you know assign this to him in Asana and give you a one-click button as an integration to your project management system? Um, and that historical context of being able to find this stuff later is crazy important to remote teams or teams in general. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. Um Sweet. Well, I think I think we've uh, provided context on the on the product for the listeners. But you know, the product was very very different. You know, when we first you know had our conversation uh, roughly a year ago, I would love to hear about that progression um, from you know. I think I think if people want the founding story, you know, they can check out the, the our last episode. But I would love to pick up maybe where we left off, which is you guys had just. I think you just did this on a. Uh, was it a product hunt hackathon or a product hunt 
there was like yeah, a, a weekend something that first makers festival the makers fest yeah um so i'd love to to pick up there and like the makers fest happened you started getting some traction as like a a side hustle product um how did you think about you know really splitting this thing out uh and going to market would love to would love to maybe go into what that that motion was like yeah, you know, like I said, the first time that we talked, this was still being done underneath so friendly. You know, this initially started as like a viral marketing stunt for our design agency. You know, we had thought about it as, well, if it takes off, people will look at it, say, oh, who's the team that built that? I want them to build my stuff, too. And that would that was kind of the, the real goal was to try and have that type of marketing um, return is someone to come to our agency. And then it turned out that we maybe built a really cool product and people actually were using it. And, um, you know, we had to make a decision. What do we do with our design agency? Do we go raise capital for this? Do we try and bootstrap it through our design agency? You know, we'd had a couple offers for some VC funding. We closed a pre-seed round um, in April of that year, of that next year. Um, You know, it, it got us to a point where we could really put some extra stock into what we had built, make it definitely take it from hackathon project to something that was a little bit more stable. I think the biggest thing to kind of update the audience on is is the pivot, you know, yeah. the the classic startup pivot that happened here. And um, I talk about this a lot because it's it comes down to kind of the ethos of where we are and who we are as a company. And it's that shift from real time to asynchronous. You know, when you and I talked for the first time, this product was still real time. You know, we, we talked about the uh, the tech stack a lot on our first um, recording. And a lot of that had to do with like all this rooms and streaming and voice calling and picking up and groups and screen sharing all in real time, all the troubles that you could could have with that the, the tech stack that we use to achieve that and we tossed all of that away all of it <laughs> none, of, none of none of that tech stack is being used anymore i think the only thing that's still being used is electron that's mm. um we still have an electron desktop app um, we didn't even have mobile when you and i talked we now have you know ios and android apps um but the biggest shift that happened was we used our own product for three months and just hated it mm. um and you know, I talk about this a lot in terms of just like startups and product design. That dog fooding is so important. Uh, you know, using our own product for a couple months, you know, while we're building it out, we're improving it, we're making it better. We actually have users and users are enjoying it and finding utility. And we just got to a point where we went, this doesn't work. It's uh, It was a bad assumption. And that assumption was that I needed to be able to get into contact with you quickly. Um, you know, Yak started out with yelling across cubicles that was the name right and uh, we love that we've still got that nice little acronym and we've we've since made it all lowercase and we've got yak.com now and that's just kind of been the brand name but it started out as a concept of what would it be like if you could just shout across the office and say like hey i need your help and you know if that could be replicated in an online remote work manner what would it look like and it looked like the first version of yak uh, turns out nobody wants that though. Like it's annoying to be yelled at in the middle of work. It disrupts you. It distracts you. Um, it, and even more so on my end as the speaker, it leads to a frustrating experience. We, we've seen a lot of tools pop up, you know, since Yak was developed. Um, I think probably the largest one being Tandem, uh, another company launched a couple weeks ago called Walkie. Mm. Um, 
And they all kind of work off of this very similar uh, premise, you know, this co-presence, this idea of having people around you on your computer at all times where I can just speak and they can respond. And, uh, you know, we look at that from the perspective of a team that looks at remote work as a problem and not as a solution. And we look at remote work as this amazing opportunity for focused downtime and kind of like <laughs> time to actually get into your flow state. And a lot of these tools are trying to essentially recreate the open office layout, but on your computer. And, you know, after using it for a couple months in our own remote team, we realized like, man, this is the worst parts of an office. Um, you know, for me trying to get a hold of you, if you've stepped away from your desk and I'm sitting at my computer holding space bar down going, hey, are you there? I have a question. I need you. You know, what's the update on this thing? And then there's no reply. That's frustrating for me. It's a bad experience. So the first thing we did is, oh, OK, well, if they weren't there or they were unavailable, we could have it go to essentially like a voicemail. Right. So that you could like they could asynchronously reply to that. And while in principle, this sounds like an amazing feature, it ends up being super frustrating. Like nobody likes listening to voicemails or receiving voicemails because they're always the bad outcome of a phone call. I didn't get a hold of you. And so it's frustrating that I had to leave you this message because you weren't available. And when we took that shift from it being a backup plan to actually being the proposed solution, you're always leaving a message. It totally changes how you leave that message. It's now purposeful. It's context rich. It's got tons of information in it. It's high bandwidth, high resolution. And now when you receive that message, it's actually useful and not like every other voicemail you've ever received in your life, which was, hey, I called you. I guess you're not there. Could you give me a call back? Right. Basically a pointless message. You don't get any information out of that. You already know someone called you. There's a missed call indicator on your phone. Um, but once we made that shift, it totally changed the way we communicated. There was so much less fluff involved. And you ended up just getting straight to the point. They were super efficient. I was able to get tons of information out in a short amount of time. And then that person was able to reply at their leisure. So for both ends of the experience, it ended up being so much better. And that's definitely the biggest shift that's happened you know, since you and I talked the first time, is getting away from this concept of real-time communication and moving into this system of fully asynchronous voice messaging. Yeah, I can, and I can see it just being the tip of the iceberg as well. I can see if this remote, I mean, it will. I think, I think the, the mindset of the leaders now are, are probably going to start realizing, and I'm sure there'll be some data and some papers published about the, some of the benefits of remote work. Um, you know, I imagine more and more companies and teams are going to f- need to figure out a way to, to, to work more effectively. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're kind of at just the very beginning, uh, you know, beginning of the, of that, of that mentality change. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you went to market. So I know, um, you know, you mentioned this podcast helped spread some awareness, but I know you also have like a, a pretty strong, um, like product hunt presence. And, you know, I think one thing that you guys have done really elegantly is, is build the brand, tell the story, you know, take advantage of the, the remote work, uh, movement, you maybe want to go into some detail around how you think about, you know, marketing your product and how you thought about initially your launching the product and getting in front of some of those early users. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I don't know if you happened to see my my tweet yesterday, but I, I offered to help anyone who has questions around product hunt launches. You know, let's do a 30 minute phone call. I'll audit your post. You know, take a look at either why it didn't perform or what it might look like when you do post it. 
a pre pre launch or post launch, you know, I'll take a look at it and I'll give you feedback on how you can optimize that. And the response to that has just been insane. My schedule has been filling up constantly with people, you know, booking with me. So it's it's obviously something we've cracked to some degree um, or, you know, there is a formula that I think can be followed. Um, you know, one thing that I've always said as a maker, especially, and I think this, you know, you and I talked about this on our first podcast was that like shift from CEO of a VC company to a bootstrapper. Like there's a, there's a different way of thinking about how you build, how you market. And I still have that like bootstrappy mentality, even as like a CEO of a venture back company now. Uh, and that, Bootstrap mentality, I think, changes a lot of the way that you approach marketing. And my approach has always been I would rather spend money building something that gets free marketing either through external channels or free marketing through users who just love it and want to talk about it than trying to, like, pay for Google ads and Facebook ads. Um, you know, I've, I've as a user, I guess I don't really find that those resonate with me. It's not the way I find new products. You know, the way I find new products is through people talking about this new thing that they tried that's totally changed their life. And so I want my product to have the same effect. And so a lot of what we've done is to try and build out audiences ahead of time, build out followings, um, create things that are viral, create things that are exciting and fun, give things a lot away for free a lot just to kind of create buzz around them. Um, you know, one of the things that I think counter to probably a lot of our investors that we do um, is build out kind of little, little side projects still. And I think that's kind of the maker spirit that's embedded in us. But we found that it's just been huge for, for marketing purposes. Uh, one of the largest articles that ever got written about us that just exploded in growth, got us tons and tons of traction, lots of eyeballs on our site. Um, the guy didn't find us through Yak. He found us through BRB, which was just another product hunt makers festival thing that we did. It was kind of like a quick rebrand of Yak for the the tween Snapchat audience. Took, I don't know, a week of effort maybe to, to get that going. We put a really nice video behind it, made a nice brand. Uh, BRB.chat, just kind of a fun thing that we did on the side. And he didn't find Yak. He found BRB. And then wrote about Yak, didn't even write about BRB. <laughs> um, so it did exactly what we wanted it to do, is it became like just this lead funnel to bring in people to the real thing, which we cared about. Um, same thing with Backtrack. We built this little app called Backtrack that lets you record audio that you forgot to record. Um, kind of like this magical utility that I think a lot of people looked at and went, how does this work? Like, I have to try it out. Gave it away for free for the first like two weeks. And I think we charge like two bucks for it now. Um, and we, you know, it's nice recurring revenue right now just to have a, an app that just gets regular downloads. Like we were top 10 in the app store for a little bit. So obviously it, it went off well, but having something like that, again, launch on product hunt, get a bunch of free traction. Everybody goes, Oh, who built this? Let me go look at, you know, yak, which is the father product. Right. Mm. Um, that's been a tactic that's worked really well for us. And I think it all comes back to one thing and that's putting value out into the marketplace. Um, I think that users today want to feel like they're receiving value from you and that resonates in your product but it also resonates in the way that you interact with them uh, so you know our product launches are successful not because i have this like magic formula or i'm super famous like i you know i have maybe 3000 users or followers now on on twitter like it's not that high um so it's certainly not because i'm this multi you know double digit um 
you know, personality. It's because I've been super, super involved in a bunch of these communities. I have a bunch of Slack groups that I'm involved in. I'm in like a bunch of like online maker communities. Um, I've been commenting and posting, helping other people out on Product Hunt for years now so that by the time I launch something, someone is more than happy to give me that upvote because they go, hey, like we've been, you know, getting a lot of value out of this person for many years. He deserves my upvote. Even if I'm not like a huge fan of the product, like I feel like I have to give back to this person. And the same thing is true in all of these Slack communities. When we do a launch, we post our link in there. Those people aren't looking at that at going, wow, all this guy does is ever just post stuff so that we can upvote it. They're like, I know this person. Like he helps out. He answers questions. He offers free advice. Like I want to upvote this product. And so we found that like just being super involved and engaged with communities, giving back to the community, helping people out. You know, I did a call with a guy today. And he was like, well, so how much do you charge to audit my product hunt post? How much do you charge to hunt it? And I'm like, dude, I don't charge anything. What are you talking about? I'm not going to charge you for that. He's like, what's <laughs> in it for you? That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, dude, I like helping people. Like, there doesn't have to be anything in it for me. Like, I, I want to help you out. And he's like, that's so weird. I don't understand. Like, he could not get past this concept. Um, and I think that that has made a huge difference in our success as a product is that we're so involved that people just kind of hear about us by proxy. And when we do something, they're actually kind of like happy that we've launched something because they're rooting for us. And that's very different than I think a lot of companies take this approach of looking more legit than they are. You know, I told the guy on the phone call today, um, Product Hunt in general rewards the small guy. Like the smaller you look and the more like hacky and maker and hey, it's three guys building something fun in their basement. Like that um, outward appearance performs way better than like the big corporate branded experience does. And so it's amazing how far that can get you in these communities just by being open and honest and transparent. And a ton of good anecdotes there. Um, I think anyone who's trying to uh, get a product off the ground could probably learn a lot <clears throat> just from, you know, that, that couple minutes. Um, I, how do you think about your time? You know, I think, I think, you know, you're seeing obviously a pretty big return on investment in your participation in these communities. Um, but now, you know, when you raise venture capital, also, you know, you, can't, you have a fiduciary responsibility to to mm-hmm. invest a ton of time now in, into your your core product. You have you have backers and people that are expecting a big outcome. How do you personally think about where to spend your time? Whether it's you know some of these side projects, whether it's being active in the community, whether it's just working directly on the product. How do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I, I I don't pretend to be the expert on this. And, uh, you know, I think if you asked any of my investors what they thought, they'd have some very terse words for me. Uh, we as a company have always felt that doing the unscalable things is what makes the difference. Um, so, yes, it may seem like a waste of my time or it may seem like it's just not something that I could possibly put that much Um, time into and still be productive. But we found that those unscalable things like replying to every single person on Twitter, you know, that post that blew up yesterday, you know, offering free support for product launches. I replied to every single person with a link to my personal calendar. And that is obviously a ton of time for me to reply to that. It's a ton of time for me to, to even do that call. But those unscalable things make all the difference in the world when it comes to like how you're perceived online, how people, you know, think of you, where you're top of mind. You know, we've always wanted Yak to be this like top of mind behavior. Um, that's why we, we always, we bought the yak.com domain, which was not cheap. Um, but 
you know, that's part of our kind of goal of I don't want to have to constantly pump money into this to make it people aware of it. I want it to just be this thing that everyone knows about. And the way you get there, I think, and this is my bet, is those unscalable things. Being super involved, you know, buying a domain that just makes it easy for people to find you, <laughs> picking a name that, you know, makes it easy for people to find you, being involved in these communities, sponsoring mm -hmm. newsletters, like any way that we can just get eyeballs on it um, is, is kind of been our way of getting the word out. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. Uh, obviously, as a CEO, I have lots of responsibilities. Uh, part of that last year was was fundraising. And that definitely took a lot of my time. But actually, at the end of the day, um, you know, that story is really what has resonated with most people. We raised both rounds, a $1.6 million total fundraise completely on Twitter. Um, everyone that we have met from an investment perspective has come from a connection that we made on Twitter. Our lead investor for our pre-seed round was a DM on Twitter. Um, we were 50K short for um, raising the round, which was just like the saddest thing in the world. I couldn't believe that I was only $50,000 short for this like $1.5 million round. Um, and I went on Twitter and saw a post. This guy was saying, man, it, like it sucks when you know, a startup tells you that, that you're oversubscribed and they won't be able to fit you in. So I replied to that guy and said, hey, we're undersubscribed. We'd be glad <laughs> to take your money. And uh, he laughed and he was like, ha, ah, that's funny. And then DM'd me and was like, sorry, it's not a fit. And then I got a DM from another guy that just happened to see that, that comment and went, hey, you're undersubscribed. I would love in, right? And we closed 50K on that guy inside of like three days. Um, and we were able to button up the round because of that. So what may seem like the most unscalable thing in the entire world, like 100% works for us. And I don't know that that will be a blanket statement that every startup could possibly do, but our story is 100% a story of the unscalable, you know, to totally off the wall way of communicating that, that has worked for us. You know, we didn't send a single cold email for investment, not a single one. I haven't done any outreach to any investors. Every single investor has come to us through a Twitter post or a connection that we that we formed on Twitter. And I think that says something to the uh, the unscalable behavior uh, that we were able to do two full rounds just by being loud and passionate. Um, and I think that I personally would rather spend my time doing that than trying to work my way through a spreadsheet of VC emails that I need to try and craft some perfect intro email and hope they open it. I'm fortunate enough to have people knocking on my door every day asking for investment. And I think that comes from that style of you know, doing the unscalable thing. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, back to even doing the meetings uh, to help people with their product hunt posts, <clears throat> you know, all those folks are effectively building something. They're making something, you know, they might have teams um, in the future. If not, they might go, you know, be working on product in a team in the future. And, you know, as this, as this remote workforce thing continues to, you know, to matriculate out into the world, you know, they're going to be looking for products just like yours and having that personal connection with your brand, I think, you know, will ultimately yield, you know, potential buying decisions in the future. Um, and especially as a seed stage business, like I think, I think your stage is right for that too. You know, if you were trying to hit a hundred million in revenue, some of those unscalable things might not work, but that's just not where you're at with the companies. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of what you're talking about is just pure brand building. Um, and it seems to be pretty effective, yeah. which is and, awesome. And it's, and it's cheap too, right? I don't have to hire a sales team to do this. You know, we can do it as founders. 
I, I, I definitely agree. I think at some point, you know, you hire the sales team, you start doing those enterprise sales, and that's a very different approach. But for a stage at which we're at right now, um, you know, you never know who knows who, who connects to who, where someone might go, what company they might work for. Um, so as small as someone might seem today, making that connection, you know, could be the difference between your next Fortune 500 sale or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your, how do you think about customer acquisition right now or, or like customer, uh, like this nurturing behavior? Like when you get, you know, from an onboarding perspective to keeping customers happy to fielding feature requests, uh, what is that like, I guess, customer success function like at a, as an early startup? Yeah, uh, again, I think the unscalable um, answer it applies here too. Um, you know, outside of, of Yak, um, we, I actually was fortunate enough to just acquire Newton Mail, um, my, my favorite emailing app that I've, I've wanted to buy for many, many years. Um, and one of the main things that my partner and I knew early on with that acquisition was that the previous team, while probably some of the best developers, designers, engineers to grace technology in many years, I mean, these guys are super, super smart. Um, they totally failed on the customer support angle. Um, they didn't listen to the community. They didn't really, um, you know, respond to, to bug reports. There just wasn't like that transparency and honesty. Um, and the, you know, the company died twice as a result of that. And you wouldn't believe the number of inbound emails that we have gotten that are like, thank you so much for saving Newton. Uh, here's like my major request. And I will reply to that email personally inside of like 15 seconds. And every single reply is, oh my God, I had, I did not expect a reply, much less one within, you know, two minutes of me sending it. That's <laughs> insane. Like, thank you so much for your response. And I'm like, dude, it took nothing. Like it was zero effort on my end to literally reply. Thank you so much for your email. We're working on that. Um, you know, I'll let you know when it's live. Like that it's just 15 seconds of effort on my end. Um, and you know, I can punch that out with my thumbs on my phone very, very quickly. And that is making such a massive difference in the response to the product. And that's us coming in and trying to save a product that has a pretty bad um, outward you know, appearance. It's kind of marred by two shutdowns, very frustrated customers. And we're coming in and these guys are angry and they're emailing us like, you know, my account was shut down or my subscription's failing and like I have this bug. And then you respond within two seconds and they're like, oh my God, that was, that was so fast thank you so much for getting back to me. I didn't even think I was going to get a reply. Um, and so, you know, I found that that in terms of customer acquisition has been for Yak really important as well. Uh, one of the things that we did, and we're fortunate that our app is a voice app, but we have this support account that's added to all teams by default. And that support account is run by me and Hunter and Emilio and Jordan. And we're actually every day logging into this account listening to people's support inquiries, it's their voice. It's their real voice sending us a message because it's just over Yak. And then we respond with our own voice. And that may seem like a lot of effort. I can't hire you know, an offshore team to run our support because it needs to be us that replies. But right now, having us be the ones that reply with our real voice saying, hey, this is Justin. I'm the CEO here. Uh, sorry you had this bug. Let me get some more information and I'll solve it for you. Like That completely changes their image of our brand. And that unscalable action has totally changed that retention for that user. And so, you know, when we talk about customer acquisition, I think a lot of it has to do with um, 
you know, not only how you retain, how you acquire users, but how you retain them. Um, because we're looking at internal growth for that team as well. We want them to come in, we want them to stay, but then we also want them to onboard more people and tell other people in their company about this and invite them and have them set up teams. And then, of course, you want that company to also go tell other companies about this product and how they should start using it. Uh, I was listening to a podcast with Stuart Butterfield from uh, Slack, and Neilai asked him, you know, why do you think Slack took off? You know, why do you think it performed so well? And one of the things that he said was, you know, there's a couple of features that I think nobody else did right, that we did right, that, you know, attributed a lot of our, our use. He said, but honestly, the thing that I think made the biggest difference is, you know, one or two people from these big orgs picked it up, had such a good experience with it, and they just became this, like, evangelist for the product. Mm. And then somebody else picked it up from that. They became an evangelist. And it was just this waterfall effect of just you heard someone else was using Slack, so I should now check out Slack. Um, and I think that that made such a huge difference in... Um, our growth as well is just giving people this amazing experience right from the beginning and now they tell somebody else about it and now that person has a good experience and a lot of that comes from the way that we communicate to our customers we had a, a user that came in that was like man if i could get keyboard shortcuts in yak it would just be game over like if i could just hit command k and type in somebody's name and hit enter and start recording to them it'd be so much faster and i was like hey man uh we just updated the app it has your keyboard shortcut Inside of like, I think two hours. I think <laughs> right, he was so fast. To blew his mind, and, and like, he, he definitely not? told his. Yeah. All, he definitely told everyone that he's working with, like, holy crap! Like, <laughs> like you got to do this <laughs> exactly. new shortcut. Like, I can't believe how fast that was. Like, you already shipped the feature that I requested in the same day. I was like, yeah, man. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal, and you wanted it, so we added it. It seemed like a good enough thing to add. <laughs> man, that's amazing. Um, nice. Well. Uh, this has been awesome time, Justin. I, I appreciate you you coming back on the show and giving us the update. Um, what's next for Yak? What can we expect here? You know, through the second half of of twenty twenty. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we we just shipped groups. Um, we're going to do a big launch around that. So group messaging was a huge thing that I railed against for a very long time. Um, you know, this is one of my opportunities to say I was wrong. Groups are super powerful. I thought they'd be noisy and annoying. Um, and you know, it turns out they're just amazing to use. So group messaging just launched. Um, we just launched our Slack integration. It's actually just pending approval from Slack right now. A lot of people have been asking for uh, a way to get their Yak messages in, in and out of Slack. Um, moving forward, kind of like the, the new stuff that we're going to be adding is uh, ways to make Yak really powerful for like smaller teams or solo users, especially to help kind of build that habit so that one person can kind of become an advocate for Yak at a company. Um, and part of that is kind of adding Loom-like functionality so that you could record to like a public link and you could drop that public link into your Slack channel. And you, you as an individual still get the power of Yak and you don't have to you know, have your entire team onboarded to make it useful. And so you know, what we're hoping there, the bet is obviously that that guy, that team lead that loves the experience in Yak starts using it. Other people start receiving the messages, even not as Yak users. They now want that kind of taste of that exact same experience. They ask for an invite. They finally accept their invite. And now all of a sudden, Yak is growing organically in that org. So a lot of our upcoming features are around this idea of like making it useful for like a power user. This guy that wants to be you know, the advocate for Yak inside of his org, but can't convince everybody to download a new app. Uh, we've, we hear that a lot. And you know, I think it's it's a real challenge to tell someone, hey, we've got this new platform that you need to start using as a, as an employee. Mm. And so we need to start building out ways to like improve that onboarding experience so that people 
are, you know, feel that FOMO. They're like, why does he get to use Yak? I want to use it too. Um, and that's, that's really where the next couple months are going to be is focusing on that experience so that that solo use case is so much stronger. But, you know, past that, it's uh, quality of life improvements, lots of integrations. We're going to do a lot of uh, focus on Asana, Trello, Jira, you know, sending in to and from, um, building out kind of external features like our insights panel. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot in the pipeline. I'm I think I'm back now. Yeah, you're back. Sorry. Uh, you cut out right when you're saying um, there's a lot in the pipeline. Yeah, uh, there's a lot in the pipeline. As always, we're super transparent on our Twitter accounts. Uh, we post very detailed change logs for every update we do. Uh, so we you know, follow along there. Uh, if you have requests, if you aren't using the product because it's lacking this one major thing, uh, like I said earlier, maybe we'll add it inside of a day. You never know how easy it might be for, for us to get something in there. But please, please tell us what you need, what you want to see, what you don't want to see. Um, all of that stuff is super important to us because we really want to build this around you know, our users and not our own assumptions. It's amazing. And speaking of, where can uh, people get in touch with you online? Yeah, definitely. At J Mitch, J-M-I-T-C-H, at J Mitch on Twitter is me. We're at Yak Chat on Twitter. Trying to buy that at Yak uh, handle from the guy that's that's taking it currently. Um, but at Yak Chat on Twitter. Um, on our website, you can send it an email uh, via the contact form. We respond to every single one of those. So please don't be shy. Um, and outside of that, every Friday, we do a live podcast called Remote Voices. Um, there is like Periscope and YouTube comments that you can dive into there if you have questions, comments. If you want to know about product hunt launches, you know, just start blowing up our comment section on Remote Voices. We will gladly switch topics and start talking about that. So yeah, 3 p.m. every Friday, we do a Remote Voices podcast, and then we upload the recording to iTunes and all your podcast networks afterwards. So feel free to utilize that as a resource to get in touch with us as well. Amazing. Um, well, Justin, as always, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and we're really excited for what you guys got going on for the, the rest of the year and, and beyond. Yeah, I appreciate you having me back. Uh, I love doing these podcasts, so uh, let's stay in touch. Come, come, come.